The following resources from Two Journeys. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God. Please visit twojourneys.org for more resources. For the last six days, I've had some kind of thing attacking my vocal cords. I have no idea what it is, but I prayed and asked the Lord to get me through all of yesterday in which I would have opportunities to witness, and then all of today in which I would have some opportunities to teach, and I'm almost there. So bear with my croaking for the next short period of time, and uh, I'm sorry that it's not pleasing to the ear, but hopefully it'll be edifying to the heart. Tonight we're going to be looking some more at Proverbs, so you can open up to any chapter of Proverbs you choose. We're going to be all over the book. Actually, in anticipation of next week, I wouldn't mind if some of you would uh, find a favorite proverb and maybe during our worship or sharing time you can share. Uh, these are really wonderful things, aren't they? Just a, a single line or a couple of lines of truth, and it can really kind of knock you back into, into line the way you need to be. So uh, maybe we can share a few verses with each other next week, so make a note to do that. Uh, tonight we're going to give the other half of um, last week's talk. Last week we talked about negative uses of the mouth, some bad habits, and I'm sure this has been a phenomenal week for every one of you, having weeded out all of those negative things, but it left you with nothing to say. Uh, and so now I don't want to leave you with nothing to say. I'd like you to be able to talk, and so uh, we're going to talk about positive things tonight, um, things that we can do that would be a blessing. Um, George Mueller, does anyone know what George Mueller's life verse was that he kept referring to over and over? Psalm 81.10, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. And he used that to trust God for the needs of thousands of orphans over many, many years of ministry. Again and again, he would come to God and claim that promise and say, Lord, you have given me this as a promise. And just like we talked about this morning in terms of prayer, he used to wave God's handwriting in front of him and say, now you wrote Psalm 81.10 and I'm coming to you again. I've got some orphans that need feeding. And so he would pray in that way. Well, now I'm going to kind of use it in a... In another sense, open wide your mouth and I'll fill it with words, okay? I'm going to ask that the Lord by his Holy Spirit would fill all of your mouths with, wor with words that would honor him. And that's no small accomplishment, is it? I mean, that's a, that's a, a great thing. I want to uh, consider together with you how we can use our mouths to bless and not to curse. A key verse for us would be in Ephesians 4.29. I know it's not Proverbs, but this kind of sums up the negative and positive last week and this week. And it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. What a filter. You know, David talks about setting a guard over the door of his mouth. I, I think like an engineer, so I think about setting a filter over my mouth so that only those things which meet this criteria of Ephesians 4.29 pass through. And that's a pretty extreme filter. This is what it says. Do not let any unwholesome talk. So anything that is not pure, and holy, and, and uh, godly would be strained out. And we covered those things last time. You're talking about gossip and slander and words of cursing and bitterness and arguments and complaints and all of those things that we can do with our mouths. That's all been strained out. Okay. And then it says, but only that which is helpful. The word only is the filter, isn't it? Only those things that meet the following criteria. That means nothing but the following things. 
So in other words, be silent in speaking to a brother or sister or another or neighbor unless the following criteria is met. Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Boy, that's comprehensive, isn't it? So I guess at least what we need is a little bit of lag time so we have time to think about what we're about to say and say, is this going to meet the Ephesians 4 criteria? Is this going to be helpful for building my brother or my sister or my fellow worker or neighbor up and that it may benefit those who listen? That's what we're going to try to do. Now, last week we referred to Proverbs 18.21. You can look there if you want. If your fingers are nimble and you want to move around, we're going to be moving through Proverbs, or you can just listen. Proverbs 18.21, which we looked at last week, says, The tongue has power, has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Okay, the tongue has power, doesn't it? Power of, how does the tongue have power of life? By preaching the gospel, that's true. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone. That's eternal life. How else does the tongue have power of life? Encouragement. Do you feel strengthened like a plant that didn't have enough water the last two weeks when somebody pours a, a pitcher of water on you and, and you just feel strengthened? Especially if it's really creative encouragement. Somebody really thought about it. It's not obvious. But somebody has thought about you and has brought this message of encouragement. I think that comes through prayer, frankly. I think if you're praying for somebody, you can gain a message of encouragement which really comes from God. It's almost a form of, of prophetic encouragement. So the tongue has power of life. How does the tongue have power of death? Criticism. Don't you just wilt when somebody comes and brings a word like that? If it's unfounded? Now, we need to be careful because we know the, the role of rebuke in Proverbs and that we all do need from time to time a rebuke. And if you're wise, you'll listen to it and it'll correct you. But I'm talking about just those criticisms that aren't from God, those things that really do tear you down and destroy. So the tongue has power of life and death. Now, what I'd like to do is look at just some different ways that the book of Proverbs speaks that we can, some good habits or some good characteristics of the tongue. And then the second half, we're going to talk about what are some of the outcomes of a good use of the tongue. So these are just some loose categorizations of the uh, Proverbs. And you can do the same thing. You can go through the 31 chapters and, and organize it however you um, would like. It would be a, a useful thing to do. The first category I saw was the tongue characterized as a fountain of life, nourishing and refreshing many. There were many Proverbs like this. For example, 10.11. It says, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. Well, last week we talked perhaps about the second half. How is the mouth of the righteous a fountain of life? Well, it's just like what we've been saying for the last minute or so. There's, there's a sense of, of water that just flows out and is nourishing and refreshing. It, it's soothing, like on a hot day. You've been working out in the yard and it's just hot and you're parched. And then the water just quenches that thirst. Well, that's what it's like when you're around the, the mouth of a righteous person. The words that come from them refresh and strengthen you. So do that. Do that for each other. Proverbs 10.21 says, The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of judgment. So here there's uh, food, it seems. In the previous, there's a fountain of living water. And now there's uh, eternal food coming from the lips of the righteous. So there's nourishment coming. And then Proverbs 18.4 says, The words of a man's mouth are deep waters but the fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. So again, a similar sense, a bubbling brook of soothing refreshment coming from the mouth of a righteous person. 
And 10.20 says, The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little value. So there's value, there's, there's purpose, and there's healing and nourishment that comes from the tongue or the mouth of a righteous person. The uh, second category is intimately related to the first, and that's the issue of healing or calming. The effects that the tongue can have in healing or calming. For example, 12.18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword. Have you ever been pierced by reckless words? Somebody says something, and oh, it just cuts like a knife. It hurts. But the second half says, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. This world is a harsh and caustic place, isn't it? And I feel that the more that the church behaves like the church and the world behaves like the world, the more this place becomes a place of refreshment and healing and strengthening that we need for what we just went through during the week. You see what I'm talking about? But if there's not much difference between the church and the world, there's not much need for that. You see what I'm saying? But if we really are living like Christians, sharing the gospel, boldly witnessing, reaching out, everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, difficult, then you come in here and the tongue of the wise just brings healing, doesn't it? It just brings healing. Maybe the word of God is clearly explained. A brother or sister comes and encourages. Somebody says, can I pray for you? The tongue of the wise just brings healing and you feel stronger. You should feel stronger at the end of a Sabbath day, ready for the week. The Puritans used to call the Sabbath day the market day for the soul. Now, they used to go shopping daily, not once a week the way we do, because they didn't have refrigeration. So every day they'd go and get what they needed, etc. And the Sabbath day was the market day for the soul. You'd get what you needed for the week. And some of you need healing for what's gone on the past week. And the tongue of the wise uh, brings healing. 15.4 says, the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. The tree of life is a strong biblical theme. You know, it was in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? And the sword, the flashing sword, was sent to, to guard the way to the tree of life. And then it appears again in the book of Revelation. And the tree of, of life uh, is for the healing of the nations, it says. And it yields its crop monthly. And there's always plenty for each nation. Well, here in the book of Proverbs, the tree of life appears again. And it comes out of the mouth of the righteous person. Tree of life. And, it's, and it is the gospel. We are preaching the gospel. But it's also just gospel truth. Remember that you're a child of God. Remember that your sins are forgiven. Remember that God has sent his son to die in your place. And it tends to put your problems in perspective, doesn't it? It brings healing and strengthening. And then I like this, 1225. This is just so practical. This is why I love the book of Proverbs, 1225. <clears throat> An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. Isn't that true? How many of us are tempted to be anxious about things you face in life? Maybe there's a loved one that's sick. Maybe you're facing financial difficulties. Maybe you're facing employment troubles. You know, your job future is uncertain, and you're anxious. And you come to church, or you get alongside a brother or sister, and they just speak. All it says here is a kind word. But I'd like to connect it to a whole body of doctrine and truth, just a biblical word, something that is kind and loving, right to the point, but biblically true, not just, oh, you'll, you'll do this or you'll that, whatever. But, but, hey, God loves you, and God is sovereign over this, and God can care for you, etc. A kind word, and, and all of a sudden you feel strong. The anxiety has been chased away. Just like Jesus in the, the uh, Sunday school lesson this morning in Luke 4, you remember? Or was it? No, um, Mark 4, in which he calmed the storm and then said, you have little faith, why were you anxious? And all of a sudden the anxiety is gone. And so we should do for one another. Is there ever a time that a Christian should be anxious? Is there any such thing as godly anxiety? Well, I guess we could debate about Paul's anxiety over the churches, but uh, concern for them. But not the way we mean by anxiety. It's tied to earthly things, isn't it? 
and a kind word gets us up out of that and moves us along to thinking about it the way we should. Let's do that for one another. Also, uh, the third category is that the tongue can spread wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge. We can speak words of wisdom to each other. 15.7 speaks of this. The lips of the wise spread knowledge. Not so the hearts of fools. Okay, so the lips of the wise are supposed to be going around spreading information and knowledge. And then 16.21 says, the wise in heart are called discerning and pleasant words promote instruction. So we're supposed to be speaking words of wisdom to each other. Well, how can we do that? We talked about that a little bit last week. You kind of have to store them up, don't you? You have to memorize and meditate on Scripture, know the Word of God, and be able to minister these kinds of wise words. It says that Solomon knew 3,000 Proverbs. It would be amazing. The Queen of the South said, how happy are the men who just get to stand and listen to you all day long. But we can do that for each other just by storing up biblical truth and encouraging one another. It may be just as simple as you choosing a number of Proverbs that you think would be a a blessing or some scripture truth in the the New Testament, something from uh, uh, one of Paul's epistles or a promise from the book of Revelation and just using it that week to bless somebody. It's true and it could be your thing that you go out that week and use. Uh, That brings us to the fourth, which is pleasant words. Already related to that to some degree, but look at 1624. Pleasant words. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Pleasant words. Now, I believe in preaching the whole counsel of God's word, but I enjoy preaching pleasant words too. I mean, who doesn't? I'd like to be able to stand and tell you that, uh, that there is a place where there's going to be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, where every tear will be wiped from your eyes, where you get to see Jesus face to face forever. You'll no longer be tempted for sin. I'd like to tell you of a place where there is no need for the sun or moon or stars, for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. I'd like to tell you those things, and they're pleasant to listen to, aren't they? It's even better that they're true. And so it is that we can speak and should speak pleasant words to each other. There's too much harshness, isn't there? Too much discordance in families and relationships at work. And I think we could be speaking soothing or honeycomb-type words to one another. Why not? And I know that there's a place for rebuke, and we'll get to that later on, but there's also a place for speaking those pleasant and soothing, encouraging words. The next category I found was the need for holding your tongue and restraining speech. Now, this may seem a little negative, but this is a wise thing to do. The fact of the matter is we don't have as many things in those first number of categories to say as we may think. (laughs) In other words, we may not have stored up enough to say all those things, and there may be a good time for us to just be quiet and to control our mouth. Holding your tongue, restraining your speech, guarding your mouth. Look at 10.19. talked about this last time, but it's worth saying again. We looked at the first half. Look at the second half. 10.19 says, in another translation, when words are many, sin is inevitable, but he who holds his tongue is wise. There's a place for being quiet and not saying much. 10.11, sorry, 11.12. A man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor. What does derides mean? Yeah, run him down. To run him down, put him down, talk him down. You know, uh, that's, that's what the man who lacks judgment does. Why does he lack judgment? Well, what do you think, what kind of neighbor do you think he's going to be? You have to live next to this person. That's foolish, you know? And what goes around comes around. How long is it going to be before he's deriding you and you have a harsh relationship? So a man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his tongue. I'm tempted to talk about 
barking dogs right now. I don't know why. <laughs> Some of you probably love dogs, though. So. We have dogs in our neighborhood, and whenever we go for a walk through the beautiful streets, we have a cacophony of barking that accompanies us. And I love to hear the wind in the trees, and it would be beautiful to listen to if it weren't also accompanied by this sound. But uh, the fact of the matter is, I will never say a word to my neighbor about this. Never. There's no point. The point is that, that we do things. We've got a yard full of kids, you know. And so uh, to some people, there's different kinds of cacophony. So at any rate, good relationships. You know, there's a time for just holding your tongue and not saying anything. 1727 says, A man of knowledge uses words with restraint, and a man of understanding is even-tempered. We tend to say more than we should. There are times that... You know, we pull out the 10-pound sledgehammer when one of those little little tool hammers would get the job done better. You know what I'm talking about? One of those little, little tapping-type hammer. We pull out the sledgehammer and get it done. But a wise person uses words with restraint. He pulls it back a little bit, or maybe even a lot. Use a gentler word, a, a kinder word, rather than the, the heavy-duty word. A man of understanding is even-tempered. One of the later categories we're going to go through is is conflict resolution, a big theme in the book of Proverbs. What to do when you're having conflicts with people. But this is very important, being even-tempered, not easily ruffled or rattled. Because the first thing that starts to move when you're rattled or ruffled is your mouth, isn't it? You start to put it into words. But if you're even-tempered, you're going to use words with restraint. The very next verse, 1728, is one of my favorites. Even a fool is thought wise if he kept, keeps silent. Isn't that great? I mean, you want people to think that you're wise? Just look like a sage and don't say anything. You know? Just, just taking it in. You know, not saying much. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and uh, discerning if he holds his tongue. And then 21.23 says, He who guards his mouth <laughs> and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. Now, really camp on that word guard. I think about the Philippian jailer Remember when there was the earthquake and the door flows, flies open and he runs out and he's going to unsheath his sword to fall on it? Remember? I mean, if you're a Roman jailer and you lose your prisoners, you lose your life. Why? Because prisoners are dangerous. They're dangerous to society. They might go out and do the thing that they were arrested for. They might do it again. And so you're about as bad as the, as the uh, prisoner if you let him go. Well, that's the way it seems Proverbs thinks about your tongue. <laughs> It's dangerous. It needs to be kept under lock and key. It needs to be guarded. You have to guard your mouth because it's a dangerous villain sometimes. So keep it under lock and key. All right, so holding your tongue. Uh, also, the need to keep secrets, keeping secrets. This is another way of keeping quiet. 10.13, covered the first half last week. A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man keeps a secret. How many of you can testify, whether from personal experience, hopefully on the one side and not on the other, of being hurt because you shared a confidence with somebody and then next thing you know you're hearing echoes of it in the relational circles. You know, it happens in churches all the time and it's the kind of thing that you've got to avoid. You know, when somebody gives you things and, you know, it's something I learned in early in the pastoral ministry. You hear a lot of things and a lot of thing, information comes your way. A lot of things that I guess in a way it's good that you can know so you can pray for them but just the buck stops there. You can't say anything about them at all. And, and it's good. It's good to just end it right there, but you all are equally responsible for the things you hear, too. To take in the information, and that's it. It doesn't go any farther than you. So to be a godly man or a godly woman, you keep secrets, you keep confidences, and it ends uh, with you. And imagine, let's speak positively now, if people just know that you're that kind of a man or woman. 
what kind of reputation you would have as a, as, a, as a trustworthy individual and how much more your ministry would enlarge, people would entrust more to you because you're faithful with little. Now you'll be faithful with much, you see. So there's times to keep quiet about it. And then I like this one, keeping knowledge to oneself. This is a very interesting proverb. Look at 1223. It's very, very interesting. 1223 says, A prudent man keeps his knowledge to himself, but the heart of fools blurts out folly. Now, I've pondered this one, and I've noticed something in my life. There's sometimes that I will have an experience with the Lord, or the Lord will share something with me, and I'll feel such joy, and then I share it with somebody, and I feel like the air's been let out of the balloon. I don't know if I can get my words around what I'm talking about, but there's just times to just keep things to yourself. They're just for you. God's done something or whatever. Mary did this, remember? Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. Didn't talk much about them. Now, at one point, she did talk about them to Luke, I think. And then they got out for the rest of us to enjoy. But I think, what does it mean when it says that Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart? I think she just kept it to herself and thought about it. And I think there's a time for that. Wisdom will tell you when it's a time to keep your knowledge to yourself and when it's time to spread it around. And then this one. This one literally has been up on uh, our mirror at home. It's a great proverb, 15.1. Maybe the one of the most useful. And we will see it again when we get to conflict resolution. 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Is that not powerful? I mean, there's a time somebody's coming and they're very, very upset, very distressed, and you speak with gentleness. You say, you're right. You know, let's pray together. This kind of thing, you're listening. There's a way to do it and a way not to do it, but and then before you know it, it's been averted. The conflict is gone. You've prayed together and you've moved on. But if you respond in harshness, off you go. And you've got yourself a conflict. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Does a gentle answer always turn away wrath? No. And that's the way it is with Proverbs. These are general tendencies. This is general wisdom. But there are times that a gentle answer will not turn away wrath because some people are bent on wrath. There are no gentle words Jesus could have spoken to turn away the wrath of the Pharisees against him. But I'm just saying that in generally good-hearted, open relationships, a gentle answer will put to death many conflicts that don't need to happen. We'll talk about it more when we get to conflict resolution. On top of all of that, however, there are times that a rebuke is needed. I want to give balance because, again, the, the rebuke is very important in the book of Proverbs. Look at 25.12. Um, <clears throat> Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. So there's a good, a good time for speaking a word that can help a brother or sister, but your motive should be to help the brother or sister get away from a sinning pattern that's doing them damage. You see, that's the motive. And you do it taking the log out of your eye and realize you know, that you've got sin too, but you speak it with a certain wisdom and you do it to somebody who's going to listen. Not to like a wild pig or, or a dog that's going to turn and trample you under their feet and tear you to pieces. Some people just cannot handle any kind of rebuke whatsoever. But a wise person can listen and there's a, a right time to do it. Now you say you seem to be giving contradicting advice. I'm telling you the way of wisdom is not necessarily simple. But all of this is part of the way of wisdom. There are times for giving that corrective word just as there are times for the pleasant word and the word of encouragement. Also 2823. <clears throat> He who rebukes a man will, in the end, gain more favor than he who has a flattering tongue. Isn't that true? You're a man or a woman of integrity, and you're saying the truth. And you're saying what needs to be said, and you're doing it out of compassion and love, not a bull in a china shop with your criticisms, but you're speaking 
what needs to be said and you're doing it with wisdom and in the end you gain more respect than somebody who's just always saying the soothing, flattering, nice thing. There's a balance to it because the world is not a nice place and we're not nice people, let's be frank. All right? And there are, there's a lot of sin, so there's times for encouragement, but then there's time for that rebuke. And then finally, the apt and timely response. A man finds joy, 1523, in giving an apt reply and how good is a timely word. And 2511 says, a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. The point is to know what to say at just the right moment. And you ask the Lord to guide you in this. Just say, God, control my mouth so that I can say just the right words at the right time. Now, perhaps of all these ministries, this one that I'm going to mention is the most significant, and that is saving lives and defending the poor. Uh, look at 31, 8, and 9. 31, 8, and 9. This resonates with a deep theme in the Bible. Uh, Isaiah and the other prophets speak of this. It says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. That's one of the highest things you can do with your mouth. You use your mouth to defend the rights and the needs of others. You know, my mind goes in lots of different directions. There's lots of poor people around. Perhaps my first thought in America is the issue of abortion. The need to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Isn't that true? They can't say a word in their own defense. And so it's got to be somebody outside the womb who can speak for them, speak in their place, or speak a word. But it's not just that one category. It's others that are just economically disadvantaged. They're just people that, you know, we all, our minds immediately gravitate to those that through their own sin have gotten into issues. Well, there are others that through no fault of their own are in economic distress. And that is a big theme in the book of uh, Isaiah and in other places, the book of James, that we, God's people, the righteous people, speak up for those who can't speak for themselves and defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow, it says in Isaiah. And that's a good thing to do with our voice. Now, what is the outcome of all this? Well, good things. 12.14 says, From the fruit of his lips, a man is filled with good things as surely as the work of his hands rewards him. 13.2 says, From the fruit of his lips, a man enjoys good things, but the unfaithful have a craving for violence. So good things come out of using your, your mouth this way. Enduring forever. 12.19, it says, Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. You're really speaking words of eternity when you use your mouth this way. You're speaking like Christ would, and your words will live forever. And then 22.11, another outcome. <laughs> this is unpredicted. Friendship with kings. He who loves a pure heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king for his friend. So if you talk this way, you may end up having a king for a friend. Now, we don't have any kings in our society, but we have important people that are around. And if you use your mouth wisely, speak words of wisdom, people are going to be seeking out your counsel. They're going to be looking at you as a wise speaking person who knows when to speak and when not to speak. And you may have a king for a friend. And then 2515, look this one up. If you haven't looked at any of the others, this is good. 2515, powerful persuasion. You want to learn how to persuade? Win friends and influence people? Book of Proverbs has the answer. 2515. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. What in the world does that mean? I'm not sure, frankly. All I know is that the context here is of persuasion and working against, perhaps working in a certain direction that somebody's opposing you, right? You're trying to get somebody somewhere and somebody's resisting and opposing. Gentle persuasion with patience is very powerful. 
is what it's saying. Very powerful. You want to know how to get your way? Make sure, first of all, that you're right and godly and that it's the right way to go. That's wisdom. And then try gentle, patient persuasion and just see where it gets you. And then the final outcome, the one higher than all of them, is 1222. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. The highest outcome is that God is delighted, delighted with you, pleased with your words. Wouldn't it be something to lay your head on your pillow at the end of one day and the Lord send an angel and say, I want you to know that today, for the first time in your life, I was pleased with everything you said. Wouldn't that be something? And would it truly be the first time in your life? Probably so. But just for God to give you just one day in which every single thing that came from your mouth was pleasing to him and he delighted in it. Isn't that remarkable? I want to be that way. And I've got a long way to go. But it causes me to marvel and be in amazement that Jesus lived every day that way. Every single word that came from his mouth was pleasing to his heavenly Father. Let's pray to be like Jesus. Let's pray that every word would be pleasing to him. Won't you close with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we are in awe, and we're still reading your words all these many years, 2,000 years later. It's said in the book of Proverbs that lips that speak the truth endure forever. And how much more, Lord, your lips and your words, for you said heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. I thank you, O Lord, that you constantly spoke those words the Father commanded you to speak. And therefore, you were constantly the source of delight for your Heavenly Father. Oh, God, work in us. We have the mind of Christ. Oh, God, set a, a guard over the door of our mouths that those things that are in our hearts would not be allowed to bubble to the surface and be blurted out, but only those things that are helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good night. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.